0: I want to talk to you today about a Jesus who is better than the best thing you can imagine and he is much bigger than any problem that you will ever face. I'm talking about a Jesus that, if you would meet him, would be a billion times better than seeing Jimmy Fallon and Justin Timberlake live. But actually, that's why I'm a little bit nervous Uh, Because I said, I want to talk to you all about that Jesus. And as I look out at you all, I I have a hunch that you all are not the same when it comes to Jesus. Some of you, maybe a bunch of you here today, are kind of like me when it comes to Jesus. Like, it's Easter and you woke up jacked up. Right? <laughs> you, you couldn't sleep because Jesus is alive and he's the best thing in your life. I mean, you give up anything, Jesus just gets you excited, the, the thought of him. But I bet a lot of you aren't, aren't quite at that spot just yet. Maybe there are some of you who, when it comes to Jesus, you, you have some pretty honest doubts or, or questions or confusion. There, there are some reasons, maybe pretty good reasons, in your heart and in your head why you don't gather in a place like this every week to worship Jesus? Why every day, every moment of your life isn't based on the teachings of Jesus or the grace of Jesus or the life of Jesus? I bet lots of you have a whole list of reasons why you're not quite there. So I have a hunch with a group of people this big, there are all kinds of things that get in the way both in the head and the heart, both the logical and the emotional that stop us from worshiping Jesus with the glory that he deserves. Which is why I'm pretty excited that you're here today. Because there's one big idea that has two parts that I want to share with you today. And if you have a pen in your hand and you're taking notes in your program, here's the big idea just so I don't lose you <laughs> ten minutes into this message. I want to tell you that Easter is historical and I want to tell you that Easter is emotional. <laughs> I want to prove to you from the eyewitness accounts that, that Easter is actually historical. It's logical, it's reasonable, yes, it is, it is miraculous and supernatural but it is not unbelievable if you know the true story. And I want to prove to you that Easter is really emotional. It's personal, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, and it's powerful. And to prove that sentence, I'm going to run back to one of the first eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, uh, written by Jesus' closest friend, a man named John. Let's see what he says in John chapter 20. It says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb Now, why do I say those verses prove that Easter is historical? Because history is about stuff that's real. And if you're taking notes, I think we see three really powerful real things in this text. Here's the first one, we meet real people in John's account. Uh, these aren't fictional characters, it's not a fable or a myth. We meet people like Mary Magdalene. Uh, did you know that, that Magdalene is not Mary's last name? Uh, it's the real place where she was from, Magdala. Uh, According to to my Google Maps, uh, Magdala or Migdal, as the locals now call it, was 6.34 miles from Capernaum, uh, the the seaside town where Jesus lived and preached and did his miracles. And according to Dr. Luke, another investigator from the first century, it it was there in Capernaum where Mary from uh, Magdala met Jesus and he changed her. You see, Luke says that, that Mary had a pretty dark past like even demonically harassed and oppressed. And no one could help her so she went to Jesus. And when Jesus fixed her, uh, Mary followed him like like a little puppy. Wherever Jesus was, you would find Mary from Magdala. Uh, read all the gospel accounts and you would find that that she's there as Jesus is preaching, she's there as Jesus is teaching, she's one of the few people who's there at the cross, who's there as his body is put in the tomb. And maybe that explains why she was up so early that morning. She was a real person with a real brain and a real heart. And both were broken over the fact that her Jesus was dead. And so while it was still dark, John says she went to the tomb, a real person in a real place. And then there's Peter, who we meet in this story. One of the most famous followers of of Jesus of all time. Peter was from the town of Bethsaida which is six miles northeast of Capernaum. He was a fisherman when Jesus met him and when Jesus said, follow me, and and Peter did. If you know much about the Bible, Peter was equally courageous and very, very impulsive. which I think comes through in this story because even though Mary is saying someone took the body, there are like grave robbers around. What does Peter do? He runs with barreling steps straight into the tomb because he doesn't care. He's going to fight anyone who messes with his Jesus. Uh, That's Peter. And then there's John, uh, the other disciple in this text, the one that Jesus loved. Um, John must have been one of those quiet, competitive guys Um, because did you notice that? The, The gospel that he wrote, what it said, not once and not twice, but three times that John got to the tomb first. Yeah, he, he wanted the world to know, for like all of human history, that he whooped the apostle Peter in the Easter 5K, right? So, <laughs> so he made it there and, and he didn't get it. He was, he was afraid. Uh, he was the one that Jesus loved, but he didn't understand exactly what happened that morning. You have Mary from Magdala, Peter from Bethsaida, and John, the one that Jesus loved, real people. And if you're still taking notes, we also find in this story that there were real places. Not just Magdala and Capernaum and Bethsaida. I notice in this text that there's one word that's mentioned six times and it's the word, the tomb. Mary went to the tomb and she said they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and so Peter ran into the tomb and John looked into the tomb. We we hear about this because I think John wants us to know this isn't like some faraway magical land. This was an actual tomb, an actual grave. A place that had GPS coordinates that you could visit on the weekend. Uh, In fact, you still can. Let me show you a picture of the tomb where Jesus is buried. Uh, That is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in the middle of the old city of Jerusalem. And it's the spot where most scholars think that Jesus of Nazareth was buried. Now that church right there was built in the 12th century, in the 1100s, by the Christian crusaders but it was actually built on top of uh, another smaller church that was built in the year 326 A.D. by the emperor Constantine, just after Christianity became legal in the Roman Empire. Pretty fascinating, uh, National Geographic just ran a story that they were doing some renovations on the tomb where they think that Jesus was actually buried. And you know, this marble slab from the 12th century was on top but when they got underneath it, they found another marble slab and they carbon dated it and it came back to the 300s A.D., the exact time that tradition says that Constantine had the church built to honor the resurrection of Jesus. Hmm. Ah, but but," the skeptic says that's that's 326 A.D., that's 300 years after Jesus died. Well, why did Constantine pick that spot to build the church? It's because there was another pagan temple there built by the emperor Hadrian in 135 A.D. to his gods, Jupiter and Venus. He built it on that very spot and Constantine built his church on top of that spot and why did Hadrian pick that spot to build his church? Because that was the place for about a hundred years that Christians had been coming to remember their Savior who died and was raised from the dead. That's a magical land A real place, a real tomb with real stones because Easter is (laughs) real. We have real people, we have real places, and there's one last thing I want you to catch here, that these are also real events. Uh, The word tomb is mentioned six times in the Easter story, but there's actually another word that's mentioned more. It's the most prominent word in John's account. Mentioned seven times is the word saw or looked. You know, Mary saw that the stone was rolled away and, and John looked into the tomb and, and Peter saw that the body was gone and the linens were lying there. Do you know what word never comes up even once in the Gospels to describe Easter? Feel. Because the earliest Christians didn't say, you know, I really feel in my heart that Jesus is with us. I just truly believe deep down that he couldn't have stayed dead. He was too wonderful. Now, now to the early Christians, what you felt was not a testimony. You know, sometimes in our days, Christians give their testimonies, the things that God, I feel, is really saying to me. That wasn't the, the earliest witness. What they said is what they saw. And so John, when he wrote his letters, he would say, I want to tell you about what we saw, what we heard, what we touched with our physical hands. When Peter wrote a letter that you can find in your Bible, he says, we weren't following cleverly invented stories, we were eyewitnesses of these things. And when Dr. Luke, who was so meticulous with his details and his history, began his gospel, he said, I've made a careful investigation and I've interviewed the eyewitnesses so that you can be certain this is not just my feeling, this is the fact of human history. And you put all of it together, real people, real places, real events, and you have a hint that it's not crazy to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's why I want to challenge some of you here today. Uh, some of you are here and I'm so glad you are because your, your girlfriend brought you or dragged you <laughs> because if you didn't show up at church this morning, you're going to have Easter brunch with your family and grandma would give you like the Christian death stare, <laughs> right? If you're not so sure, like, if you don't think you're going to come back next Sunday, let me ask you this. If there's real proof and you care about real facts, if you consider yourself a person who's driven by reason and and logic and the data of science, would you at least explore it? Listen, when Mary came with the news, like Jesus is alive, Peter and John thought she was crazy but they had the courage to explore it. They wanted to see for themselves and so I want to challenge you to do the same thing. If you're not a Christian, Or if Jesus Christ isn't so important that you worship him with people like this in a place like this every week, would would you take a next step and at least understand it? Talk to someone like me or a really knowledgeable Christian that you know. Uh, Sign up for that group that Pastor Michael was promoting on your communication card. It'll cost you six hours but isn't it worth it if Jesus is offering you an eternity with God? Because you might think it's just religious fluff but it's not, it's the facts because Easter is historical. That's what, uh, that's what Alex found out. I'm not sure if you noticed when you were singing today but, but the guy banging on the drums in the corner is uh, a newer member of our church named Alex. Uh, he's an attorney in town, spent his whole life studying eyewitness testimony and uh, actual facts and not just fiction and for most of his life, he thought Jesus was fictional. He had passionate Christian friends who would invite him to church all the time. Uh, His college roommate is actually a member of, of our church who was praying for Alex for so many years. But Alex honestly thought it was Christian fluff. Now Christians talk about hope and peace and forgiveness and that's great, but we make these things up to make ourselves feel good. But Alex had the courage to take a step and to investigate. And what he discovered shocked him. The Christianity was not as fluffy as he imagined. It was actually based, the original story, on the same stuff that he cared about in the courtroom, what the eyewitnesses saw and, and heard and touched, what they could testify to. And eventually, he realized that it would be illogical not to seek Jesus, not to pursue him, in fact, not to believe in him. And he became a Christian. Not because he set his thinking aside but because he deeply embraced it. And recently, Alex and his wife were blessed with their their first kid, a a baby girl. And I have a hunch that as she grows up, uh, this Christian dad is not going to say to his daughter, you know, honey, we really feel that Jesus is the Son of God. (laughs) I have a hunch he's going to take her into John's courtroom and say, here's what happened and here's not just what we believe but why we believe it. Because Easter is historical. But not just that. Uh, it's church so you can confess honestly. Anyone ever fall asleep in history class back in high school? Yeah. Anyone ever drool on the history textbook you had to give back to back to your teacher? <laughs> For some people like facts and data and official history. It might, it might be true but it's not interesting. But that's why I'm really glad that Easter is not just historical. Here's the second thing I want to share with you. Easter is also very, very emotional. I want you to feel the emotions of Easter as we jump back into John's Gospel. Verse 10 says, Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, smiling, I imagine, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Oh, you can feel the emotion, can't you? Um, I noticed um, a word that came up three times in uh, the second verses that John writes for us. If you're taking notes, here's where I think the real emotion of this text comes in. It's the word, my. And I notice that Mary talks about my Lord. She's distraught. She's heartbroken. She says, they've taken my Lord and and I don't know where they put him. She says, to the gardener, even if you stole him from the grave, just tell me all I want is my Lord back. Which is a crazy thing to say. Um, You know what the word Lord means? It's someone who gets the last word. It's someone who has authority in your life. And do you ever gush about the lords in your life like that? Are you like heartbroken for your boss who tells you what to do and makes decisions at your job? You know, we we kind of put up with authority and and lordship but but not for Mary. Um, Jesus had healed her and fixed her and forgiven her and so he could tell her anything and she would obey. On Easter morning, she she couldn't sleep because my Lord was dead, and now he's gone. But then Jesus gets more personal in her confusion. He, he says her personal name, Mary, <laughs> and she cries out with, with our second blank. She says Rabboni, which means my teacher. You might have seen like the word Rabbi in Rabboni, which means teacher. But those little word letters in the middle, the the O N mean, it's personal. It's Rabboni. This is my teacher. Jesus, you, you teach me anything about anything, about life, death, about marriage, about money. You, you teach me anything and I will believe it. And when Jesus says her name, she totally fangirls him. Did you notice that detail? He says, hey, don't hold on to me. <laughs> Which means she must have been so moved emotionally she like she fell at his feet and just held on to him because she never wanted to let him go again. It would be like, you know, if my wife met Justin Timberlake at the mall and he's like, don't, don't, don't hold on to me. Or if I met Justin Timberlake at the mall and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> because Jesus was not like some just religious teacher to her with some good advice. He was her Lord, her teacher, and her Savior. Uh, but my favorite, my actually is the last one in this text. Uh, it's not from Mary's lips, it's from Jesus. Remember what he said? Mary, don't hold on to me because you have to go, here's what he said, to my brothers and tell them, uh, I'm about to go back to God, to my God, to their God, to our Father. Now if you're kind of new to the Bible, you you might not realize how shocking that is because Jesus is sending Mary back to to the brothers, to the guys who had just just bailed on him and failed him. To Peter who had said, I don't even know who Jesus is because he was afraid of what it would cost him. Like, most of them had left Jesus in the garden and were not there as he was tortured and alone and crucified. These were were guys who were not great. They had sinned in, in dramatic ways but some of the first words that Jesus spoke, do you know what he called them? Not you go tell those sinners or those weak spiritual hypocrites, he says, Mary, you go to, to my brothers because their sin will not be the end of their place in my father's family. And today, I want to tell you the good news that Jesus would say the same thing to you. He rose from the dead and died on a cross so that whatever has happened in your past or present, Jesus would still call you my brother, my sister. So you wouldn't have to fear fear that your Father in heaven has kicked you out of the family. Jesus would actually teach us to pray our Father, not, not just the Father, but our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And please, on this Easter, don't play that mental game in your head that you are the exception of the promise of Jesus' forgiveness. Some of you think with an embarrassed conscience, but, but Pastor, you, you, like you, you don't know what I've done. I've been in some dark places in my life. When I went through the divorce, when I was in college, in, in the pit of the, de- the depression, things I did during my addiction, like it, it was dark. It was not church appropriate which sounds a lot like Mary, but the dark demonic parts of her past would not stop Jesus from bursting into her life, forgiving her, and letting light and life have the last word. <laughs> and you might say, but, but Pastor, you, you don't get it. I've, I've said some things. Like, when I was going through the breakup, I said some really, really ugly things. I said them to people and I said them to God. The things I said to my my parents before I walked out of the house, the, the things I've said to my own children in, in bouts of frustration and anger, you don't know. Which sounds a lot like Peter, who said some really bad things, but Jesus said to Mary, You you go tell Peter, my brother, that I'm alive. And I'm not done with him yet. <laughs> and you might say, about well, Pastor, you, you don't get it. I'm I'm too like competitive, I'm I'm too proud, I'm too controlling, I'm I'm too fearful, I'm I'm too sinful, I'm too whatever," which which sounds a lot like John who had to tell the world he was first to the tomb three times. The guy who was fighting for a place by Jesus' side because he could be proud and he could be angry but do you know what John is called in the Bible? The disciple that Jesus loved (laughs) because all of his sins stacked up would not be greater than the love of Jesus over his life. Listen, Jesus is a personal Savior. He saves people personally and that personally includes you. So if I could steal a question from the first Easter morning, uh, why are you crying? Why are you worried? Why would you ever be afraid? Jesus Christ who, who loves you, who rose from the dead to prove his divine power, who is sitting right now on the throne with God the Father and is running the show, (laughs) why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Are you looking for someone to help you with your health, your cancer, your sickness, your anxiety? Jesus can. Jesus is and Jesus will. If he doesn't answer your prayer and fix it this week, before you know it, you will blink and life will be done and he will fix it forever. Are you hoping to, to heal from the trauma that you've been through? You, you battle f- flashbacks and, and dark feelings and thoughts. Jesus can help you. He is helping you. And he will help you. The Bible says that because Jesus was raised from the dead, one day God will raise our bodies and they will be glorious and they will not be broken and they will not be twisted and they will not be scarred. Instead, every thought, every word, every feeling we feel will be perfect and powerful and beautiful. Are you looking for love that's, that's consistent because you've been through the roller coaster of relationships, people who are infatuated with you and then not, people who stand before God and make a vow and then they don't keep it? Or maybe you're looking for Jesus, the one who says there's nothing in all of creation, not life, death, angels, demons, anything in the present, past, or future that can separate you from his divine love. Are you looking for peace Are you worried about what's coming this next year? Jesus is the prince of peace. Are you looking for hope? Just knowing you have a for-sure future that no one can touch, Jesus is our living hope. Are you looking for life, like something to live for? Jesus one day said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you know what you're looking for? Jesus. And he's not some tale and he's not in some tomb, he is alive. Because Easter is historical. And I propose to you that's what makes it so beautiful and emotional. Back in 2016, uh, country singer Tim McGraw posted a a video to his social media that went viral. Uh, In no time, it had 20 million views. A video that he himself hadn't taken, he had just shared from a friend. Uh, The video was from a Nashville school teacher named Ben Ellis who was beloved by his students. He, He was happily married, a father of five kids, uh, and sadly, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Uh, ben Ellis's body started to wither away t- to the point that he couldn't even make it into the classroom anymore. So, on September seventh, twenty sixteen, the school planned a surprise, uh, a field trip, to Mr. Ellis's house. They loaded up all the, the school buses with four hundred students. They drove them to his yard, they unloaded it and 400 kids stood in his lawn and they sang songs about Jesus. Someone recorded as this balding, gaunt man with an oxygen tube in his nose and a faithful wife at his side opened his window and he joined his frail voice with the 400 outside. And they sang this song, Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. And then nine days later, Ben Ellis's heart got what it longed for. He took his last breath and he saw that Jesus was very real. Before he died, though, one of his colleagues went to his bedroom and said, Mr. Ellis, is there anything you want to tell these students outside? This was his reply. Tell them that it's all true. It's all true for you, too. Easter is historical and that's what makes it so emotional. Let's pray. (laughs) Ah, Jesus, you're alive right now. We're not closing our eyes and talking and listening. We're talking to the God who listens. I'm so grateful, Jesus, that you didn't give us good advice. You gave us really good news. I'm so grateful that the billion things I I wish I could redo in my life, you don't think about those for a single second because I and we are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, that death doesn't have to scare us. Death has lost its sting because you rose from the grave to conquer death itself. And so I pray as, as Christian people, we could grieve with hope. I pray as reasonable people, we could seek you with passion and curiosity And I pray that that we, as the followers of Jesus, would have more peace and more life and more patience and more self control than anyone because we know a God who is that good. I thank you, Lord, for this day and I thank you that the joy of Easter is not contained to one Sunday year, it's every Sunday, in fact, it's every second. Thank you, Jesus, for being with us in a glorious but invisible way today. We can't wait until the invisible becomes visible. With Mr. Ellis, we see you with our own eyes and we celebrate in ways that make this day look so small. Thank you, Jesus, for being alive. We love you and we can't wait to see you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Mike. You probably thought you were done listening to me, but here I am again because <laughs> I need your help. we love more people to hear this great message of God's love. So if you could rate and review this podcast, it could reach more inboxes, more ears, more eyes, more hearts, so that people could have more hope in Jesus. Thanks so much for your extra effort, for your support, and I hope you have an amazing day.